Hi there. You're listening to the Paralegals on Fire podcast show, where you'll be getting tips and actionable strategies that you can use right now to fast track your paralegal career. I'm your host, Ann Pearson, former paralegal and paralegal manager who left big law in the concrete jungle to start my own company, the Paralegal Bootcamp, where we give online courses that help paralegals make more money, increase their job security, and cut out the learning curve. All right, let's jump right into today's episode. Wow, here we are at episode 100, and it's also the final episode of 2023. I've put together an episode that I hope you'll like. I went back to the first dozen or so episodes, and I've pulled 10 of my favorite little nuggets or tips that I thought you'd like especially if you're a fairly new listener and you don't have the time to binge listen to the other 99 episodes. And even if you've been a listener since the beginning, you'll appreciate these 10 clips all in one place, kind of a end of the year motivator or inspiration for you. Before we jump into those, I want to give a shout out to a couple of paralegals who recently messaged me on LinkedIn. Side note, if you and I are not yet connected on LinkedIn, I'll put a link in the show notes to connect with me over there. Or you can just search LinkedIn for Ann Pearson Paralegal Bootcamp, and I should come up first in your search results. Okay, the first message I received was from Juanita. She wrote, I love your podcast. I've been a legal assistant for 20 years, and your podcast motivated me to go back to school to get my paralegal degree. I'm 48 and finally take ownership of my career. Thank you. Oh, Anita, you have no idea how inspiring that was to read that message. It makes this work so worth it. And I can't wait to hear from you when you've graduated and you're in a kick-butt paralegal position crushing it. In fact, maybe you'll even come on the show and let me interview you. The next message was from Colleen, who... It looks like I owe an apology to because as I've got this message pulled up on the LinkedIn app on my phone, it looks like I never responded to your message. So I am so sorry, Colleen. It looks like it came in, oh, it was the day before Thanksgiving, which was pretty hectic. So I hope you'll forgive me for not responding. So Colleen wrote, I have been enjoying your podcast as well as taking the personal injury paralegal boot camp. Thank you. Oh, Colleen, thank you. You know, I really, really appreciate it. And I love hearing, obviously, you're in the personal injury boot camp. I love hearing that. But I love that you've been enjoying the podcast. And I love that you took the time out of your busy schedule to send me a message. You know, one last shout out goes to Jenna. I'm skimming right underneath Colleen's message. So I'm just going to throw this one in here. She said, I listen to your podcast weekly and love it. I'm brand new to the field and find your podcast so helpful. Well, thank you for that message, Jenna. And I want to give a huge thank you to every one of you listening today. And I want to wish you the happiest of holidays, truly the happiest of holidays this year. I hope your 2023 ends on a just super positive note for you. I'll be back on January 8th with another new episode. Until then, Here are my top 10 clips for you. I would love to hear from you which one was your favorite. Instead of waiting to see what your company is going to do for you, 
ask, what am I going to do for myself? The answer, make a career development plan. Put it in writing. I think it's one of the best investments you can make in your paralegal career. I want to share a quote from Earl Nightingale with you. He said, the driving force of a career must come from the individual. Remember that jobs are owned by the company. You own your career. And owning your career means that you invest in that career. You're going to get what you put in. If you graduate with just the basic foundation and never make any other investment in it, you're going to stay there in the same place you were when you graduated. And we all know where that is. It's where we all are when we graduate from our paralegal programs, walking into that first paralegal position and looking around and wondering, what in the world am I supposed to be doing here? They taught me how to draft a legal research memo using the IRAC method, but no one's asking me to draft a legal research memo. They taught me all about wills and estate planning, but I got hired as a litigation paralegal. Look, you're not alone. Every one of us sat at our desks on that first day wondering the same exact thing. There is this weird scarcity mindset in some paralegals, and it shows up as them not wanting to share their knowledge and skills with the new paralegals because they think they won't be looked at like they're the top dog anymore. And this is done to the detriment of the firm and to the paralegal profession. Why would you want any lawyer to look at any paralegal and think they're not very good at their job? It brings down the entire paralegal profession because pretty soon that lawyer thinks you are the only one, the only one paralegal in the world who's competent. That lawyer leaves the firm and is working at a new firm with 10 other new paralegals who he's never met and they've never met you. And that lawyer comes into it with that mindset oh, my paralegal Jill at my last firm is the only great paralegal that ever existed. So I'll just use the associates here to do my work. I recommend saving all those emails and voicemails in one folder. You know, those kudos emails and voicemails, the ones from the client to you or the attorney thanking you for a great job on that project, the voicemail from your attorney thanking you for working all weekend, getting that transaction closed, Save those throughout the year because you're not going to remember them all, especially if they happened early in the year and your meeting doesn't happen until December. What else could be in that folder? Let's call it a brag folder. Things like courses you've taken, courses you've taught, projects on other teams that you've pitched in to help, in-house training that you've attended or taught. Now let's take that one step further and every year, Put those into an ongoing career journal for when you want to update your resume. Some employers have self-evaluations as part of the process. If yours does, then that's the opportunity to pull out that brag journal and start writing that stuff down onto the self-evaluation form. Back in the day when I was a paralegal manager, the firm had the paralegals complete a self-evaluation form that was the exact same evaluation form that the attorneys were using to evaluate the paralegals. It was like 10 pages of questions. Truth be told, I think it was an utter waste of time to make them do that. What I would have preferred was just a few long-form questions so that they could actually do some self-reflection. Questions you might want to ask yourself, like, what went well this year? What could I have done better this year? 
Did I achieve the goals that I set for myself last year? If not, why not? What goals am I setting for myself this year? And how do I plan to accomplish those goals? These are questions you can ask yourself, regardless of whether or not your employer has a formal review process or a self-evaluation form. And if you do have a formal process, when you answer those questions honestly, they make for really good talking points for you to bring into that meeting with your supervisor. Imagine how productive of a conversation you'd be having if you were prepared to talk to your supervisor about how your year actually was, your accomplishments, accomplishments that they might not know about, what your plan is to improve your weaknesses. If you're a paralegal listening to this, you might be saying, well, Anne, you're preaching to the choir because, of course, we want to see an increase in pay. But part of this will fall on paralegals because if you want to see an increase in salaries, you've got to stop accepting positions that you know are below what you really want to be making. So let's say that recruiter calls you on the phone or messages you and says, hey, are you open for an opportunity? And you say, yeah, maybe. Let me hear about it. When they ask, you know, what are you making now? Your answer should be, well, this is what I want to make in a salary in order to move from this firm. In order to make a move from this firm, this is the salary I want. It's X. And make that a big number because what you're making now is irrelevant. Maybe you're being underpaid right now. The question and the answer is, what's it going to take for you to make that move? And it should be a big number. And it's not, you know, I don't always necessarily recommend that you leave because the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Here's the thing. You cannot put control of what you do and how you do it for your paralegal career into someone else's hands. If there's someone preventing you from doing the best possible job that you can do, come up with a workaround because this is your career, your reputation. So you don't like how the files are organized, but that's the way they've been doing it for years. If it's something that's preventing you from doing the best possible work and supporting the attorneys in the best possible way that you can, then change it. Don't let other people and their former systems dictate how successful you can be in your career. For example, if you're working on a bunch of witness notebooks, let's say you've got 20 witnesses, and after you finish the first two notebooks, you can estimate that each one takes an average of, let's say, three hours from start to finish. One of them took four hours, the other one took two hours. So you can assume that half the remaining ones might be as complex as the four-hour one and the other half not as complex. So go to that attorney and let her know that based on what you've done so far, you estimate that this project will take X hours to complete, right? You've completed two of those 20 notebooks. You've got 18 left, averaging three hours a notebook. And so, and that's how you tell this person that this is how I calculated it. This is in my estimate, how long the project's going to take. And then ask if that's what she had in mind for the project budget. Another thing that I might suggest is if you're told in advance that this project is only budgeted for, let's say, three hours, when you get to the one and a half hour mark or the two hour mark and you realize you're not even half done with the project, 
then go to the attorney and let them know the status and how much longer you anticipate the project taking for you to complete. That's where you'd want those metrics to be able to estimate. Let's say in this example, you've completed half those notebooks and it's taking you two hours. I know it might be tempting to think to yourself, and we all do it. We're all guilty of this. You think to yourself, well, I'll just work harder to try to finish it within that three-hour time frame. I'll work faster. I'll work harder, and I'll be able to get it done in three hours, or maybe it'll be three hours and 15 minutes. I'd be really careful with that mindset because the only statistics you have so far is that half the project has taken you two hours. Why would you think you'd be able to finish the other half of the project in half that amount of time? Luck? Cutting corners? It's probably not going to happen unless you cut corners, which then puts you in a position where you might make mistakes because you don't have enough time to do a quality control check before those notebooks go out the door. You're like, wait, what? I can't lose my job. Of course not. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm just asking you to plan your future and not just think about where you're at today. What's the difference between job security and career security? Well, job security is pretty self-explanatory, feeling more secure that you're not going to lose your current job. If you work in a large defense firm with a billable hour requirement, that might look like making sure that you're exceeding that billable hour target each year. If you're working in a plaintiff's personal injury firm, It might mean being able to effectively and efficiently manage 50 to 100 or more files without letting anything slip through the cracks. Job security is important. I'm not in any way saying that you shouldn't care about your job security. But how often do you ever focus on your career security? What is career security? It's when you're consistently doing things that move your career forward and that will provide security for you regardless of what happens to your current job. You're adding value to your career so that if you got fired tomorrow or laid off next month, it would barely be a bleep on your radar screen because you have the valuable skills and certifications that other employers are looking for. You have that awesome resume that you continually update every year and the connections that you've made throughout the legal industry and beyond. You know, it, and that, it, that's a great perspective that you just brought because I think they, they know and believe that they're cut out for it when they go through their training. They're excited about it. They're excited about the work. They're excited about what they get to do, depending on what industry and area of law they go into. But what kind of defeats them and deflates them in my experience is the communication with the attorney or the law firm when they get in there. So the the paralegals properly train. They've done, you know what it takes to get, become a paralegal. It's no small feat at all. And then you get into a law firm and if there's chaos and there's a breakdown in communication and lack of direction and lack of coaching and leadership and consistent communication, then what happens is attorneys and law firms will hire these paralegals, throw them in the back room, dump the banker's boxes of files on their desk with very little direction. And then when things go south, they get, you know, they get blasted with my, the words that I hear from paralegals are basically you're incompetent, which could not be further from the truth in my experience. It's just like a, 
an attorney going through law school. That is no small feat to be able to get that certificate, becoming a paralegal. In my experience, they do get disheartened. They get beaten up unnecessarily because everybody's too busy to really stop, drop, and roll and give that proper time, attention, feedback, reviewing their work, um, giving them that coaching and that leadership. We and, and then that's where they get to a place where they just believe that they're not cut out for the area of law because of the energy and the intensity and the chaos that occurs and unnecessarily in law firms. I remember in my paralegal certificate program, one of the things that I enjoyed so much was this moot court competition that we did. We were arguing an appellate brief in front of a few professors who were the judges. That was after researching, writing the briefs, and then arguing the briefs in front of them. It was part of the whole class. Do you know how many times throughout the last three decades I needed to know how to argue an appellate brief? Yeah, none. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy that moot court competition, but maybe all of that time that we spent play acting could have been spent teaching me how to put together a trial notebook or what a paralegal actually does in the courtroom. You are not learning the skills that it will take to be a great paralegal in school. What you are learning is the foundation stuff, the terminology, the theory, you're memorizing the civil rules of procedure and what the definition of a subpoena is, but you're not learning what you're going to be doing on the job. Now, in the school's defense, this is no different than any other career that's out there. When a lawyer graduates from law school, they don't know how to do everything they're going to be doing as a new associate. When your friend graduates from college with that business management degree, it doesn't mean that he or she knows how to open and run a successful business. They have the foundation to get them started. It's the same with new paralegal program graduates. So if you're new, And, or maybe you're just starting out, you're getting your certificate now, you're getting close to graduating. You know, I'd highly recommend do a career assessment and don't be so hard on yourself. These things that I mentioned today, it's, it's all of us. It's happened with every single paralegal who's graduated. It's not that your paralegal program is any better or any worse than any of the others out there. It's just that they don't do these things. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, hit the subscribe button in whatever platform you're listening. And please take a quick minute and leave a review of the podcast and share this episode with just one colleague or friend who you think would benefit from what we discussed today. Share the knowledge and the entire paralegal profession elevates. See you next week. Bye for now.